Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Sounded like Melbourne writers. <laughs> Melbourne writers. Just a couple of bite gals. Coming up on today's show, what does a billionaire like Kylie Jenner owe the people around her? Plus, Orlando Bloom is getting roasted online for his morning routine. Celeb spell check all but disappears from Instagram. The Hembrows are getting a reality show. And then Demi Lovato bears so much of her trauma, including what led to her 2018 overdose for a new documentary. But first, Michelle, how was your week? I'm annoyed at the sky when I wake up. Oh, God. I'm over it. Are you guys feeling this? Like, I hate waking up when it's dark. I can't do it. I snooze my alarm like four times in a row. I feel depressed. I have to, like, drag myself into the shower. The sky just changed so quickly. I feel like two weeks ago I was waking up and it was brilliant sunshine and I was, like, singing my merry little way into work. (laughs) And now I'm, like... I don't know. I'm I just like sludge coming into the office every morning. Oh, my secret shame is being absolutely fucking terrible in the mornings. Yeah. I wish I was one of those people who could put on an alarm for 6am and get up. <laughs> and you know what? I still try. Every, not every morning, every so often I think, I'll go to a Pilates class before work. I don't do it. I don't go. (laughs) I feel like I'm so disoriented at the moment. This morning when we woke up, I turned to Mitch and I said, how's your period going? (laughs) What? I'm like, your period. And he's like, are you still asleep? Like, what's wrong with you? I just wake up in like a trance-like state at the moment. Sleep, sleepwalking, sleep talking when you wake. Sleep talking when I wake. Annabelle, waking up easily, not easily. I love this weather. I love the sky fuck off, Annabelle. (laughs) Is there something kind of of cozy about yeah, it. Yeah, it reminds me of like being in London. <laughs> how, how much time you spend in I've London? Been there once. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with that. I'm very happy. How long were you there for? Like two weeks? Yeah, not long. <laughs> anyway, my recommendation for the week it's a bit of like a piggyback recommendation on our John Mayer segment. 
last week, we touched on very, very briefly when we talked about John Mayer, that he had been pretty toxic towards his ex-girlfriend, Jessica Simpson. A lot of the listeners reached out saying, you guys have to listen to this series on You're Wrong About, which is another podcast that talks all about Jessica Simpson and kind of deep dives her memoir. I had actually already listened to it, which is, I think, where the seed had been planted deep in my brain that John Mayer's a bit of a douchebag. And I want to recommend that to anyone who hasn't listened. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't give a shit about Jessica Simpson, I don't really care. Let me tell you, neither did I. And then I listened to this four-part series. It went for like four hours. And now I'm a big Jessica Simpson fan. I made us put on Jessica Simpson songs in the office last week and then immediately regretted it because none of the songs are actually that good. No, they're not great. (laughs) They're not good. The music videos are even worse, but love her, love the life that she's kind of built and the way she's transformed her pop career into a very, very successful business career, but also just a career where she's super honest with her fan base about her life and the struggle she's been through. Does she have a business now? Yeah, she has like a $1 billion clothing empire. What is her clothing empire? Oh God, I'm going to be doing a live Google search about this. And this went well for you last time. (laughs) This went so, yeah, a factual error was made in last week's (laughs) podcast. I said that Mumford & Sons won (laughs) album of the year at the 2013 Grammys. Correction. It was not Mumford and Sons. It was Daft Punk Random Access Memories. Yes. Yeah, so good correction for the record. I hope this live Google done a little bit better. <laughs> I didn't know that she had a clothing line. Yeah. So here we go. I'm looking at the best source, which is Wikipedia. Aside from Jessica's musical pursuits, she launched the Jessica Simpson Collection in 2005, a fashion line of clothing and other items. The brand <laughs> other has- items. <laughs> the brand has gone on to earn over $1 billion in revenue. Good on her. Yeah, good on Jason. Nice. I feel like that's Jason. a great. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually quite keen to listen to this series, so I might get it in my ears and let you know how I go. You're so welcome. How was your week? Good. I, at the start of this year, thought 2021 is the year of trying new things. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just like. Is this going to be you talking about Pilates? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to talk about Pilates until I'd done like at least a month because I am absolutely fucking terrible at it. But I was like, I actually need to start new things. Like I have done the same thing my whole life, just generally. Like yeah. I never try anything new and it's because I never want to be really shit at something mm. so I started Pilates and I'm I still get quite concerned because I'm doing the reformer Pilates so you're on the bed and I'm like, on the bed yeah it's a bed it's well, like is a, this the one where you've got contraptions hooked yeah. up to like your arms and your legs and it's like resistant cords yes and I'm like has anyone ever face planted off this thing onto like the floor because if anyone does it's going to be made it hasn't happened yet I mean my recommendation for the week was not going to be trying new things but while I'm here try something new be the shittest in the class be the one that the instructor is always talking about when they're giving instructions like and if we could just sort of go a bit more to the center and you look at your whole body and it's like to the right so I've done that and it is I mean it just is what it is can I add as well it's one thing to be bad at something and do that publicly like that's embarrassing enough to be bad at something that involves your body feels incredibly <laughs> intrusive. Like when you're you bad mean? when you're bad at physical exercise, yeah, like I'm... I hate running, not just because it makes me want to die inside, but because when I run, I feel like I look so stupid and I feel like I have no coordination and I look like a praying mantis like <laughs> taking its first steps. So I just hate running because I know other people are watching how my body is so unco and just like all over the shop. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the mistake that people make when they're exercising is they think that everybody's watching them yes. but nobody actually is. But I still feel that so visceral 
Anyway, so that's me at the moment. I'll keep you updated <laughs> on how I go if I end up at the Pilates Olympics. <laughs> I do have a recommendation this week. I listened to an episode of The Imperfects. It is Hugh Van Kylenberg's podcast. We've had him on the show as well. He's from The Resilience Project. You might remember a little while ago we spoke about his interview with Ryan Shelton, which everyone really adored when we spoke about it. I actually have to give credit to my younger brother for this because I never gave Liam credit for recommending me the Ryan Shelton interview Aww. and then putting it on the podcast. And he messaged me last night and said, listen to the episode with Will McMahon. Will is the co-host of Will and Woody, who do the National Drive program for KISS. And I don't know if people remember this, but I think it was a year or so ago, Will and Woody did this incredible video for Are You OK Day, I think it was. And Will spoke very openly to Woody about his battle with depression and with his mental health. And it was incredibly moving to see. I know we shared it on our socials at the time. And in this interview with Hugh, he talks again very openly about his mental health and I just think as I get older I thought that particularly the conversation around mental health would get a bit easier particularly with the men in my life because I think when I was younger you struggle having these conversations the older I'm getting the more I realize it's still fucking hard with men and mental health and even anecdotally in my life it gets to the point where you know people are struggling and you you don't know what to do and this is as people who would consider ourselves I guess pretty emotionally intelligent but it's a fucking hard space to be in, Yeah, men's mental health. Well, I feel like men have been trained that they shouldn't talk about it or they aren't allowed to feel sad. They're supposed to feel angry, yes. if anything, and therefore any form of sadness or despair is pushed down and in place you kind of find frustration and this like weird fury. Yeah, it's a complete bottling, isn't it? Yeah. And Not so, every man, I should no, say. No, of course like, not. I know some men who are very, very in touch with their emotions and very good at talking about it, but I would say for the majority it's very difficult. Because it's just never been taught. So hearing someone like who is in, you know, such a prime time spot talking to someone like Hugh who is just so wonderful about mental health and about how he's connected with his friends about it. Mm. It's just like this beautiful conversation as well about the friendship between Will and Woody and how great Woody is and how they communicate about it now. It is just beautiful and I think it's the kind of episode that, yes, everyone should listen to but also I know so many of our audience are women, maybe 95% <laughs> of our audience are women. Yes. But for anyone who is listening who does want to listen to that, listen to it and then send it to a man in your life who may not even be struggling but just may know other people who might get something out of it because it's a really important episode. So props to both Will and Hugh. What a great recommendation. Thanks. I'm pretty proud of that one. Not that it was I had anything to do with it. I have no ownership over that episode. I'm so proud of this piece of content that I did not create. <laughs> hey, let's get into our first segment for today, Mish. We are starting with one of the more divisive polls we've had on Instagram in a while. I would say the most divisive, in fact, because we put this poll up about Kylie Jenner and the amount of DMs we received, the sheer number, the volume was unprecedented. And I know unprecedented is an annoying word in 2020 and 2021, but this was truly unprecedented. Yes. So for those who might have missed it, before we get to the poll, an old makeup artist and an old friend of Kylie Jenner's by the name of Samuel Rowder was in a really serious accident. And it's not yet clear the details of that accident, but what is clear is that he was in need of very serious and emergency surgery, particularly around his brain. And what happened was his friends and family created a GoFundMe because, as we know, the American healthcare system is completely fucked. Completely fucked. He was in a whole lot of debt trying to pay for this life-saving surgery. And there was, I think, about a $10,000 limit on this GoFundMe. Kylie Jenner donated $5,000 and then shared it to her followers. Yeah. So what Kylie Jenner did, and there is a lot of misinformation out there about this story, so we will try and get the facts down early as quickly as possible. A lot of our listeners came to us saying, Kylie 
created the GoFundMe, which is incorrect. Samuel Rowder's family created the GoFundMe. They set it at $10,000. When Kylie Jenner was informed about the GoFundMe by her current makeup artist, Ariel, she said, I'm going to get them over their limit. So it was 6000 She put 5000 in to get them to eleven. then shared it on her Instagram page with her hundreds of millions of followers. What she wrote was, may God watch over you and protect you at Makeup by Samuel. Everyone take a moment to say a prayer for Sam who got into an accident this past weekend and swipe up to visit his family's GoFundMe. When she shared that GoFundMe, the new limit had been set. So if you guys aren't aware, on GoFundMe, once you reach a limit, you then have an option to extend it to try and raise more money. Samuel Rowder's family took that option and boosted the limit to 60000 after Kylie Jenner's donation. So when she shared this and her followers clicked into the GoFundMe, they would have seen Kylie Jenner $5,000, limit 60000 <laughs> It now, doesn't look good. Not the best look for someone who is worth around the mark of a billion dollars. Kylie Jenner has been valued at a billion dollars. She is then dipped down to the 900 million <laughs> mark. So we're not sure it's around that 900 to $1 billion mark of her net worth. However, if you were earning $456,000 a day, which is what Kylie Jenner earns, not the best look to share a GoFundMe and ask your middle class or lower income earner followers to chip in for your personal acquaintances surgery. Exactly. And as you can imagine, social media, I honestly think blew up in flames. Mm. Like the tweets were pretty fair given the information that they had seen, which was like Kylie Jenner buys $100,000 bags Mm. and she can't pay $60,000 for somebody's surgery. So this was all swirling for a couple of days. And then she was forced to acknowledge the story and sort of wanted to rewrite the narrative. And she wrote on her Instagram stories, I feel it's important for me to clear up this false narrative that I've asked fans for money and I'm not paying for my makeup artist's bills. Sam isn't my own makeup artist and unfortunately we don't have a personal relationship anymore. But I've worked with him a few years ago and I think he is the sweetest. I saw my current makeup artist and friend Ariel post about Sam's accident and his family's GoFundMe and I called Ariel immediately to see what happened to Sam. Mm-hmm. She then went on to explain exactly what Mish did before, that when she clicked into the GoFundMe, the limit was at $10,000. She got them over that limit and then shared the GoFundMe for extra kind of trickle-in donations. Yeah. So as we said earlier, we did want to poll our listeners about this. We saw a lot of commentary online. We couldn't make sense of a lot of it. So we thought, okay, let's see what our listeners on Instagram are thinking. So we polled them and asked the question, if you have a billion dollars within brackets, a billion equals a thousand million, just for context, because I truly feel like a lot of people don't know the difference. And sometimes I forget as well. So a thousand million dollars, should you be expected to pay for an ex-employee's emergency brain surgery? More than 20,000 of you weighed in. 42% said yes, Kylie Jenner should be expected to pay for her ex-employee's surgery. 58% said no. I was a bit surprised by that. But what's interesting is when we got those results back, there was a couple of things I noticed. First and foremost, a lot of people, and I say, when I say a lot, I mean we were inundated with messages saying they had issue with the word expected, like should you be expected to pay? And I thought that was a really interesting point because when we were putting the poll up, we were going back and forth on the wording. Mm. Like you were like, should we put, is it your duty? And I was like, absolutely not because I think people – won't actually think it's a duty. I thought expected was sort of like a softer way of saying, should you pay this? But it felt like a lot of people were like, well, no, you shouldn't be expected to, but you should. Yes. So that's what I found really interesting about the results from that poll. What I was really surprised about was how 
viscerally people reacted to it. Like, as we said at the top of this segment, we have never had anything interacted with more than this poll, I think. No, and we've asked far more divisive (laughs) questions than this one. People like taking photos of our poll, taking photos of the results, sharing it on their own stories and then polling their own (laughs) followers because they were so shocked by it. I do want to say when people said, oh, she shouldn't be expected to, but it would be the kind, good thing for a billionaire to do. I agree with them. I feel like there's some weird semantics going on here. I wrote that poll question. And when I chose the word, should she be expected to pay? It's because I feel like there should be different expectations, literally, of the average person to a billionaire. Comparing a millionaire and a billionaire is not the same thing. If you have a net worth of $1 million, my expectations of what you do for the people around you are very, very different to when you have $1,000 million. And people might come back to me and go, but Kylie Jenner doesn't have $1,000 million in her bank account, to which I say, I know, that's clearly (laughs) her net worth. However, in my mind, My expectations of billionaires are that they have amassed such insane, ludicrous wealth over their lifetime, normally of the middle and lower class people who work for them and feed their company's pocket and bank accounts, that they owe it to the people around them to give back. Obviously, you don't become a billionaire by that kind of thinking. You don't really get to being a billionaire by giving out money to other people, which is probably why billionaires are billionaires (laughs) and I will never be one. But I think it's just in my moral fiber that if you have the ability to do things, particularly for those around you, I don't necessarily think she has to give money to every person under the sun for a different issue if she hasn't met them. If you're a billionaire, though, I do think it's a pretty low bar to say if someone's in your life that you care enough about to be sharing things about them on social media, you care enough to kind of have worked with them in the past, you care enough to put this out to 200 million people and ask them to donate – you should probably take it on yourself, given this is 0.00006% of Kylie Jenner's total net worth, $60,000 would be 0.0006. You should just do it. It's chump change to you and it's not chump change to the average person coming across that story. I mean, it sounds like a really silly celebrity story, especially when a Kardashian name is attached to it. I think people kind of roll their eyes, but I think it does actually strike to the heart of what you believe your role is in this world. And I think it does strike to the heart of if you have money, if you have a billion dollars, what is your role with that money? Are you on this earth to make other people's lives easier? Are you on this earth to serve other people or are you on this earth to serve yourself? Mm. I mean, the other argument that came back to us a couple of times on Tuesday when we did this poll, Mish, was, but it's her money. She worked for that money. And I'm like, "Eh, I mean, sure, if you think the world is fair and that billionaires make money fairly, but I don't think they do. Like the concept of billionaires is ridiculous. Mm. It is so unnatural. And that's not to say that wealth is unnatural, but the fluctuation, like the extreme amount of wealth in a billionaire is completely unnatural. It's more money than anyone could possibly comprehend. A thousand thousand million. million. (laughs) How many more times do we have to say that? She fundamentally does not need it all. You do not need that money to live a good, happy, fulfilled, healthy life where you're putting food on the table. And you could provide for literally every person you've ever met with that kind of money. Donating it to a friend or even a friend of a friend is surely the best use of it. And I know, again, it just strikes to the heart of what you believe and 
about what you believe about money and what you believe about who you serve. But I just find it odd that when she was questioned about it, she then kind of backtracked and was like, we don't have a personal relationship anymore. Yeah, like it's kind of at odds. If you don't know him and you don't have a personal relationship, I'm surprised you'd share it with your 200 million followers. It then calls into question, well, why are you sharing your charitable efforts with 200 million people if you actually don't care enough about this person to foot their surgery bill? But then... This is where I'm going around in my head and I want the listeners to know I have internal conflict about what I'm saying as well. For making you cringe, making you go, but, 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 fucking same. (laughs) My other thought is, okay, so look at this situation on face value. We now have a man who has raised over $100,000 for his surgery. Kylie Jenner shared it to her audience. People chipped in and it is a net positive outcome. Samuel Rowder is going to get the medical care and the financial backing that he needs to be hopefully okay or at least have the highest quality of life that he can. If Kylie Jenner hadn't done this, like what is my ideal set of circumstances? That Kylie Jenner donated $5,000, it went over the limit, she never shared it, the family never lifted the limit and none of us ever knew about this. Or that like she never donated at all and this man had $6,000 raised for his care when now he has 100000 It isn't perfect. I'm not saying the situation is like 100 out of 100, top marks, A plus for this. This situation is still better than what it would have been if Kylie hadn't shared, which makes me incredibly fucking conflicted. I disagree with your definition of net positive in this context, right? Net positive is having all these people band together and fundraise $100,000. I think the net positive is not having those people have to foot the bill, people who already can't afford often their own healthcare, people who are already struggling a pandemic. The net positive outcome in this scenario is Kylie Jenner seeing the GoFundMe, yes, maybe donating the five, $6,000 and contacting the family and saying, what else do you you need? How much do you need? Mm. That is the net positive, not putting the burden on other people. Producer Annabelle, you've been sitting and listening to this entire thing. Uh Where do you sit? Like, obviously you've heard us go back and forth. You've heard us lay out our arguments. Where have you gone with it? If I was in Kylie's position, I would have donated the whole thing. But I agree Mm. with you, Zara, in that like, you hear so many stories about celebrities donating all these sums to people that they know and like people that they care about after the fact, like after it's already happened, they didn't want to publicize it. Kylie could have done that, but that's not what she did. Yeah, like more altruistic, I guess. One interesting layer of this story before we move on is that there was also this sentiment that people who critique Kylie Jenner in this instance have some kind of unreckoned with internalised Yes, I saw this around. That we come for Kylie Jenner because she's a woman and we criticise her because we hate the Kardashians for sexist reasons. Let's unpack that for a second. Yeah, and I don't know if it's as reductive as we hate the things she does because she's a woman, but I think the points being made were, okay, well, what about all the other billionaires and would you hold them to the same level of account? And to that, I would say, yes, I absolutely do. Like there are so few billionaires in the world. If Jeff Bezos did this, you can absolutely fucking bet I'd be on this microphone talking about it. Or would I? He's not quite a pop culture figure. But you know what I mean. Yeah. I also think maybe it's the platforming of it on an app where we are, where young women are. This is a young woman who we naturally take interest in. I... Would also find it interesting if a young male celebrity did this, I think, as well. I think, yes, you could look at it from, oh, well, we're critiquing a woman's actions, but I also obviously find it problematic where we can't critique women's actions ever by design of them being women. Yeah, and I think for me the takeaway point here right now is that if you are a celebrity or a person with a bucket load of money, like we're talking millions or billions, and you feel compelled enough in your heart to share a GoFundMe because it's touched you in some way, shape or form, 
I think the question that celebrity asks themselves or that rich person asks themselves is if I care enough to share about this, can I cover the cost myself rather than asking lower income people to do it for me? Coming up after the break, Orlando Bloom's pretty ridiculous morning routine and then Demi Lovato's new documentary bears it all. But first a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, comfortable McDonald's, what have you got for me? (laughs) I mean, I'll take that as a compliment, sure. (laughs) My first story, Orlando Bloom mocked for column revealing daily routine. That is from News.com and I don't know what's happened to Orlando Bloom in the last few weeks, but he's a bit of a kook. (laughs) He's a bit of a kook. I feel like perhaps Orlando's always been a bit of a kook. I mean, he was married to Miranda Kerr for a time and I feel like she's queen of the kooks. Yeah, good point. I reckon perhaps he's always been a bit quirky and has kept it under wraps. So... Orlando Bloom is actually in the press at the moment because he's promoting a new film. So that's why he's been around and there's been a few headlines with him. His new film comes out on March 26th. It's called Retaliation. Now, what happened over the weekend is that he shared with British newspaper The Times his morning routine, which I just got to say is often a goldmine for these newspapers. Like getting celebrities to write about their morning routines is always going to end like this. It's amazing. And he spoke about him waking up with Katy Perry, about his new daughter, Daisy, when I called her Daisy Doe. Daisy Dove. (laughs) With his new daughter, Daisy Dove. A couple of quick highlights from the start of this article is he gets up at 6.30am. I never believe someone when they say what time they get up. I always add about half an hour or 45 minutes before immediately checking his smart ring sleep tracker. He likes to earn breakfast, so instead gulps down a concoction of green powders that he blends with a potent mix of brain octane oil, collagen powder for his hair and nails and some protein, before heading out on a hike while listening to Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots. He then has breakfast, which he has earned by that point, with hazelnut milk, goji berries and vanilla paste. He said that he is 90% plant-based. He has one cut of red meat a month or something, which I'm like, Orlando, that's like 99% plant-based. It's one a month. Anyway, and then he does some Buddhist chanting. Controversial opinion. I know lots of people online have come for him over this. I know a lot of people have been quite sassy about his morning routine. I don't know why, but I feel the need to defend Orlando Bloom in this very niche circumstance. Good on him. I am a sloth and a slob and I wish I was healthier right now. And I read something like this. I'm like, you know what? He is living his best life. Fucking gulp down your brain octane oil if it does it for you. I am jealous. No, it's hilarious because he's not hurting anyone. So also, who cares? But I think it was just like a bit of a light injection into people's day. It's just not the thing you're expecting to read when you open up the paper, especially when he writes lines like this. I've been changing the narrative in my head and feel I can be the driver of my train. I can set it alight, but then I can get the fire crew and put it out. Like, I actually don't know what that means. No, neither, but he's having a good time, which is all that matters. (laughs) The other funny thing is it wasn't the only hilarious article of Orlando Blooms that came out this week. There was another one he did with The Guardian where he was just asked a series of random questions, right? Yeah, so The Guardian does this series, which I actually really like, where they ask quite interesting questions. Celebrities just give very snappy, short, few-word answers. it's a great concept. And the questions are like banger. So, for example, he was asked by The Guardian, what's your favourite smell? Orlando's favourite smell is freshly cut grass. He was then asked, what's the best kiss you've ever had? He said a girlfriend called Debbie when he was 17. No offence, Katy Perry. I was like, fuck it, Ralph. (laughs) Yeah, or Miranda, sorry. Now, 
he ran into some trouble and this is where I'll stop defending Orlando for the day like I've used up all my defending Orlando energy. He was asked, how often do you have sex? And his response was, not enough. We just had a baby though. I just, (laughs) that made headlines. Like that was the pullout quote. And for someone like Orlando Bloom, who has been in the public eye for years, who has a whole media team around him, as if they didn't know that was going to happen and as if it didn't look incredibly offensive when he did it. Yeah. It kind of harks back to that rhetoric that your wife owes you sex after giving birth or like she's not going to put it out enough for you. Yeah, it is absolutely enough because she's just had the baby. However much you're having is enough because that's what she can do and that's what she wants because she's pushed the baby out, as you said. I would love to know how many men have the desire, like urgent desire to have sex if they had to push a watermelon out of their (laughs) (laughs) Okay, story two. The gossip fiend behind Celeb Spellcheck has spoken up on why they nuked all their posts. That is from pedestrian. Gotta say, Mish, I don't know another website that uses the word nuked more than pedestrian <laughs> does. Nisha love of nuked that nuked. place. So on Friday, you guys might have seen, we posted about it on Instagram, that celeb spell check, we think archived all her posts. She's a clever gal. I feel like she would have archived. Yeah. So immediately when she'd done this, there were rumours rife that she was being sued because it had been a big week in the week of Celeb Spellcheck. Rumours that I bought into. I was like messaging all my friend group chats being like, guys, this is what I've heard. And by I've heard, I've concocted this in my head and this (laughs) seems like the most plausible reason why she's now jumped off. So the timing here was super interesting. About a week, a little less than a week before Celeb Spellcheck announced she'd be taking indefinite leave or an indefinite absence from the Instagram account, she did share a video of a former Bachelor contestant snorting a mysterious white powder. That Bachelor contestant didn't intend to share that video. I believe it was on a friend's Instagram story and she was mistakenly in the background snorting this white powder. Celeb Spellcheck shared that to her followers and we kind of watched this all happening. We saw it unfold on social media and then in news media, but we decided not to cover it on Shameless because it felt litigious to us as two people who are journalists. I don't think it is in the public interest. It should be noted that that certain Bachelor contestant did come out and speak publicly about it, did acknowledge it, did apologise. But that story was swirling Mm. as the story around Beck Judd and Lorinska was also swirling, which we did speak about last week. Yeah, exactly. So the timing was a bit sus, but on Saturday, Celeb Spellcheck did confirm that she's not being sued. So she wrote, I'm not being sued that I know of, lol. And I'm not at risk of having my identity revealed. I will be taking a little break while I think about the future of this account. Moderating the comments has become time consuming, but very necessary, as is dealing with all the other things that come with having a very large audience. It's so interesting because I think the first question I was asking myself on Friday when this was happening is, okay, if there was some sort of lawsuit going on, who would it be from and could they actually be suing? And I think that's the one question we've had really is who could sue and on what grounds? And I think that's one of the most common questions we've got from listeners is, but can she be sued when she's just reposting other people's content? Yeah, well, there's this idea out there or this generally held belief that if someone posts something to their Instagram story – It's fair game. You're allowed to share that. You're allowed to do whatever you want with it because that person put it out to the masses. That's not exactly true. Like I know we've kind of been 
teasing out this idea that Celeb Spellcheck can't be sued because she's sharing stuff that already exists on the platform before. Yeah. So what I did during the week is I called our lawyers because I was like, you know what? Sorry. (laughs) Random client request, but I want to get some advice on this. Like I want to make sure now that we're as informed as we possibly can be on this topic. And our lawyers basically chatted to us about this topic and said, it does not matter if other people have published it. Just because someone else put it out on the internet first does not mean you're protected. Mm. I think the other thing to consider here is particularly if it goes from a small follow to a large one, the scope of reputational damage of anything that's being posted is suddenly widespread. Like the amount of eyeballs that that is suddenly getting compared to what it would have got is incomparable. Theoretically, someone could sue for reputation in damages. So they could say, okay, I want special damages for economic loss because people could absolutely lose work over stuff like this circulating in the public eye. They could lose contracts, lose ambassadorships. Well, influencer work, right? Like this bachelor contestant makes her income through influencer work and it doesn't matter if it was already out there, if Celeb Spellcheck is magnifying it and amplifying that content to the masses and then that influencer is losing brand deals, that influencer could potentially sue for whatever she's lost in brand deals. I think two cases that Alois pointed us to were the Jeffrey Rush case and also the Rebel Wilson case. The reason that those two people were able to sue for such sort of historic amounts of money is because they could prove that they had lost all of these contracts that were in the works. So it doesn't mean that the case would necessarily be won. doesn't mean that, you know, the suing would be successful. It just means that it could happen. I mean, we've said on this podcast before, and it's true, Australia has the toughest defamation laws, I think, in the world. Yeah. It is something that we need to be very careful about when we talk about things on this podcast, like very, very careful about. And so when it comes to anonymous gossip accounts, when people try to kind of compare the celeb spell check thing to the demois, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, particularly when demois is based in the US, which has, I would say, one of the most lax approaches to defamation laws around the world compared to our very, very strict ones. I will pop a link in the show notes to a New York Times article that explored why Australia is the toughest on defamation laws around the world. If you want to read more and kind of get into the nitty gritty, read that. But as journalists, I do often cringe a little bit or get very uncomfortable with Celeb Spellcheck. Like I feel like she runs the gauntlet with a lot of this shit and it just wouldn't surprise me if one of these days it comes back to bite her. My third story, Billie Eilish's new hair colour breaks Instagram record. That is from the BBC. Super quick one, guys. No more jet black hair with fluoro green roots. Billie Eilish has embraced the platinum blonde lifestyle. Are we all loving it? I'm loving it. It's great. It was an incredible photo. So she was the fastest person to gain one million likes in history on Instagram. So it's only been up for less than a week and the photo already has 21.2 million likes. That puts Billie Eilish's post as the fifth most liked post on Instagram ever. Of course, the number one post is of the world record-breaking egg. Do we remember that? I forgot about that. That is 54 million likes. It is more than double some of the other posts in the top five. We also have Cristiano Ronaldo's soccer tribute. We have Chadwick Boseman's death announcement. There's a lot of men up in the top five, and I think Billie Eilish is the only woman apart from the egg. (laughs) Just going back to the egg for a second. That is one of my favourite moments in humanity. years ago and when it hasn't been it? topped. I think it was 2019, was it early up? 2019. Who did that? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Remember when Kylie Jenner shared it though? It, like all the celebrities it got was, behind the egg. It was like, it was early 2019. God, it was ages ago. The original egg picture was posted to Instagram on January 5, calling on users to set a world record together. <laughs> it just 10 days. The little egg claimed 23 million likes, <laughs> attracting a viral following of people called the Egg Gang. <laughs> Anyway, my fourth story. 
Not the best timing. Pip Edwards does a sexy photo shoot in the torrential rain in Byron Bay as people continue to suffer through floods. That is from the Daily Mail. Mish, I put this one in here because there's huge Meghan Markle avocado toast killing humanity vibes about this one. Oh, huge vibes. So if you missed it and you don't live in Australia, maybe... Our eastern seaboard has been ravaged by floods over the last week. We are absolutely thinking about anyone who has been directly affected. Byron Bay is one such area of Australia that has experienced like torrential rain. Pip Edwards, the fashion designer and influencer, was in Byron Bay and she did stage a sexy outdoor photo shoot in the pool. I don't know if it's fair for Daily Mail to come for Pip Edwards over this. I feel like if we're going to target anyone over the floods, which have just like followed extreme bushfires the year before, maybe we should come for governments who refuse to act on climate change. Not sure if the founder of PE Nation has much to answer for. (laughs) It's just like the most fucking ridiculous story to be on the homepage of the Daily Mail. Like the headline, does sexy photo shoot as people continue to suffer through floods? As if she can't do her job as people suffer. Pip Edwards' sex is destroying the world and the planet as we know it. Honestly, I know we say it every week, but fuck the Daily Mail. Like, how do they continuously do this? How do they target women, try to make them look silly and stupid and somehow responsible for all the atrocities in the world? It honestly drives me out the wall, but I feel like a broken record. And my fifth and final story, Tammy Hembrow seemingly confirms her new reality show as she's caught filming with a TV camera crew that is also from the Daily Mail. You guys might be familiar with the Hembrow sisters. There's like four of them. They're all very, very popular. In fact, is there four or five? There's little sister Starlet. She has 220,000 followers on Instagram. There's Amy who has 278,000. Emily who has 1.1 million and Queen Tammy who has 12 million followers. They are obviously an Instagram family dynasty. What is fascinating about their rise is they are now being followed around the Gold Coast by a camera crew, like you just touched on in that headline, Zara. And from all appearances and based on their not-so-subtle Instagram activity where they're kind of videoing these TV cameras, following them around – they might be the next Keeping Up with the Kardashians or that certainly might be what a TV network has in mind. I hope that it's an American network doing this. It wouldn't be surprising if it was. There's not much happening in America with Mm. regards to filming. A lot of filming has moved to Australia. And the reason that I say that I hope it's an American network doing this is A, there's a huge hole in where the Kardashians aren't going to be. And B... I just feel like if Australians make this, it'll last a season and not any longer. I agree. It will have like Lara Bingle reality show vibes about it. And I love Lara Worthington, but when she did that reality show in what, 2012, 2013, it was a bit of a dumpster fire. I loved the show, so I won't take it personally, but I appreciate what you're saying. It was cancelled after one season. I do get nervous when Australians enter into new reality TV show ideas and contracts. I agree with you. If an American station or an American production company has taken this on, they might be onto a gold mine because these sisters are not just super interesting. Like I watch a lot of their content. I take a keen interest in who they're dating, what they're doing, what they're wearing, etc. But also they have a big American audience already. Although they do live on the Gold Coast, they're massive internationally. So watch this space. The next Kardashian family could be coming out of the Gold Coast. Let's wait and see. Hey, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. A quick trigger warning before we dive into this next segment. We will be discussing drug abuse, sexual assault and eating disorders, which means this may be triggering for some listeners. 
Demi Lovato is renowned as one of the most talented singers of her generation. The Sorry Not Sorry and Cool for the Summer singer's voice is so iconic, just as Lovato's role on Disney Channel's Camp Rock franchise was. But there's something else that makes Demi Lovato notable, her unflinching honesty about her history with mental illness and her battle with drug addiction. Now in a four-part docuseries on YouTube called Dancing with the Devil, the 28-year-old is letting the world into the most traumatic time of her life, 2018, when Lovato's overdose was so significant she almost died. So what did we learn? For starters, Demi Lovato suffered three strokes, one heart attack and brain damage that will mean she has permanent vision loss and will never drive again. We also learned that Demi is a sexual assault survivor and the trauma of two separate assaults pushed her into hard drugs like heroin and crack cocaine. Zara, there is so much to unpack here, so I will let you start with wherever you want. Where should we begin? Well, I'm going to start with explaining the documentary a little bit. So this documentary is already premiered at South by Southwest, and the first two parts of the four-part series were released yesterday on YouTube. It's interesting because even though only two parts are out there, everything's already out there because it's already premiered, because a lot of people have already seen it. So it's interesting to me how they're staggering the release of these episodes when all the news is already there. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. Obviously, as part of the media, we got a pre-screener to this and we got given access to all four episodes. So it was surprising to us to then log on to YouTube and see the public doesn't have that because as people in the media, you want to report on the biggest headlines. So it's interesting that they didn't just go put them all up It's YouTube. People like to go on a binge. The episodes are only 20 minutes anyway. So it's not like people will be tired after watching one. If anything, this needed to be double the length that it is. I'm just very surprised that they think they can kind of breadcrumb us with 20-minute snippets when in reality we want it all now. It's only 80 minutes long when it's all put together. Yeah, I mean, we will delve right into that in a second about, you know, where the shortcomings of this documentary lay. But I think a quick recap on Demi's history for those who might not be across it. In 2010, at the age of 18, she sort of cracked that squeaky clean image that Mm. Disney had created for her. She entered into a treatment facility to help with addictions to cocaine, to alcohol, Xanax. She also told the world about her history suffering with mental illness and disordered eating. Up until 2018, Lovato had been sober or she told the world that she'd been sober for six years. So she kind of became the poster child for addiction, for sobriety, for also mental health awareness. Mm. And then in 2018, as you all might remember, she had a life-threatening overdose. She did nearly die. And that's one thing that they communicate really terrifyingly in this documentary that left her, as you said, Mish, with permanent brain damage. I mean, I think the first point that I wanted to make about this documentary, and as you said, Mish, it was only 80 minutes and it felt like it should have been so much longer, Mm. is there was so much going on in this documentary, but it's so weird because I feel like we skimmed over so much. Like I feel like I left this and didn't really know Demi as a person. Yeah, well, we unpacked the Billie Eilish doco just a couple of weeks ago and we made the comment that it probably could have been shorter. Like we felt like we really deeply knew her. We really deeply knew her family life and kind of what was going on behind the scenes. This, I needed it to be twice as long. I truly feel like even the way it was shot, which was very different to Billie Eilish with Billie Eilish, if you haven't watched, cameras followed her around her life. Like they literally just watched what she did for the space of 18 months. Whereas with Demi Lovato, it was all kind of talking head interviews. And the one thing that you absolutely can't deny about this documentary is Demi Lovato has been through so much, so much. And that trauma is 
really palpable coming from that documentary. But despite that, and despite the fact, this is the most I think we've ever heard a celebrity put on the table. Share. Yeah, this is the most trauma that anyone has really shared that I can think of in recent memories. And yet I still left the documentary and was like, I want more of a connection with her. And maybe that's what Demi wanted. Like maybe she wanted to talk about this trauma in a really controlled environment, just put it all out there and didn't want to connect with the viewer. Like maybe that's what she asked for. But that's kind of how I felt walking out of it. Yeah, well, I feel like Demi did such a great job at letting us into her life and explaining to us the very complicated nature of her addiction and her story. But I feel like she was let down completely by the director and the producers behind this film. So this was made by OBB Media, directed by Michael D. Ratner. That is the same director who worked on the Justin Bieber Seasons doco. Justin's documentary was slammed. I remember at the time there was this Pitchfork article that came out and slammed it as redemption propaganda. And that article accused the doco of being too glossy and manufactured and basically PR spin from Justin's team. I would say I would have the same gripes or very similar gripes with this documentary about Demi Lovato. And it's not a reflection on Demi herself. I think Demi was actually incredible. But the way the production company put this together in that it was so sensationalised, so dramatised, there were like these snippets that opened the doco where everyone was like, are we going there? Like, are we going to tell them everything? Oh, we're doing this? We're talking about that? Oh, my God, like the truth. It's like, just tell us the truth. Like, why are you giving us this spin and why are you trying to force feed us that this is authentic, this is Demi like you've never seen her before, just show me instead of telling me. And I feel like the biggest letdown of this docuseries was they told me everything they wanted me to know instead of letting me get there myself. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like that overly dramatised nature of the whole thing was just a bit hard given how sensitive the subject matter was Mm. and you touched on it in the intro. I mean, one of the things that was really stark to me looking at this and hearing Demi talk is it's so obvious in this documentary that she wasn't, and this is by her own admission, built for fame. She is way too candid. There were far too many restrictions put on her as a kid. I mean, she was told what she could eat, when she could eat, when she could drink, what she could do. She was literally living in a bit of a cage. And she had said in 2016, I am not meant for this business and the media. Mm. And you watch this documentary and you hear her talk and you think... God, yeah, like you just really love to sing and this industry and this business is a a really important byproduct of that, but you weren't built for it. You were built to sing, but not for the rest of it. She also, it's important to note, has a father who had significant addiction and substance abuse problems and ultimately died from those problems when she was just a teenager. So I feel like when you have that backdrop that this is like a family history and these kind of things can also be hereditary as well. I think that really does paint Demi Lovato's life in a really interesting light again. Should we talk about what we liked about yes. the documentary? Because there was definitely stuff I really enjoyed. I think the first two episodes that are live right now are the strongest by yeah. far. I think uh, the love of the people around her, like her two sisters as well, like the relationship between her sisters and how her younger sisters have really wanted to have her back and have had her back for years is quite moving. I think the really nuanced exploration of addiction as a disease is really important viewing and I would say watch it for that alone. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's hard to grapple with there is a revelation in the documentary and you guys would have seen headlines about this as well, that Demi Lovato is still drinking and is still using weed as well. And I think that's really difficult for anyone because the rhetoric, understandably, has always been that if you have been addicted to substances, it's a zero or 100 game. You have to give up everything or you give up your life ultimately. And there were definitely people on the documentary who echoed that sentiment and said that the path Demi is on now is not one that she can stay on healthily. 
but I've never seen a star be so open and honest about their addiction journey before. She got on to this docu-series and said, I'm drinking and I'm using drugs and that's just how I'm going about it. And I, to the producer's credit, feel like they did that pretty sensitively where they had a lot of experts weigh in on that and give competing kind of thoughts that left the viewer to kind of make up their own mind as to whether or not that's the right decision for Demi. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's such a hard one because it leaves you with a bit of like a sense of foreboding. It's not a neat bow that the documentary ends on. It's not a neat bow where we think, okay, well, Demi's fixed. But that's the truth of addiction and I think that's the narrative that they wanted to get out there. It's like it's not some neat bow all the time and this is the truth of our life. And I think for so long Demi had always tried to create those neat bows at different points being like, guys, I'm fine now or guys, I'm looking back on it. I'm a completely different person when we know with hindsight that wasn't the truth. So I guess we'd rather her be honest with the world than not. Yeah, I also think like how dark the demons of fame can be that of course we know a lot of celebrities struggle with substance abuse. Cocaine is a drug that's thrown around all the time, maybe some other ones as well that are kind of more palatable in the public eye, I would say. But to hear a celebrity get up and say, yes, I was smoking from a heroin I don't I don't even know the vernacular. Is it smoking a heroin pipe? I'm not quite sure, but smoking heroin. That's confronting. And it's a side to celebrity and fame that we don't really see. I can't remember the last time I've seen a celebrity be open about something that gritty and that real. I mean, it seems like such a tired tale or one that we say a little bit when we have conversations like this about celebrities like her, but she seems so over fame. Mm. Like she seems really tired. Mm. She seems really tired of it all. And that is a really hard thing to see because it's like, oh, we kind of all created this. I mean, like there is trauma that happened to her that we touched on. She was assaulted more than once. She, as we said, has that history of addiction and drug abuse. But we also created the beast that is fame that didn't make her life easier. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to touch on the sexual assault stuff as well, because I think it was important to me, particularly powerful to see how this docuseries represented the aftermath of sexual assault or like the true nature of sexual assault. I think anyone who has read our book, The Space Between, will understand why I personally appreciated this. I don't think I need to delve back into it. But I really found it interesting to see another woman talk about being assaulted by two men she knew. They weren't the one incident of rape, but in two different cases, Demi says she's been raped. She knew both men. They were in her life. And even after the rape, she kept those men in her life for a time. And I think that is a story of sexual assault that the public hasn't always been ready for. I think it adds a layer that is more complicated than the dark alleyway narrative that we've probably swallowed that women are raped by men they've never met and then they never see those men again. In reality, that's not the case for the vast majority of women who are sexually assaulted. And I know it's rare for someone to keep their rapist in their life, but that's certainly something I could relate to. And I thought that the way Demi laid this out, the way she told this story was probably the first time I had felt seen by another woman in the public eye probably ever when it comes to sexual assault and sexual abuse. So for that, I thought this was incredibly powerful. It was so powerful the way that they did that. And I agree with you in in a sense that like there would have been part of her that didn't want to share the other elements of those assaults. Mm. Like Absolutely, there would have been part of her, but she just decided to get up there and be like, I'm just going to put it all out there. And it does, as you say, it does wonders for people who haven't seen that narrative and need to see that narrative and a society who, as you say, haven't really been ready to hear it. Yeah. I do want to read out her quote about this because I think there will be headlines about Demi's first account of sexual assault. She says she was assaulted while starring in Camp Rock on the Disney Channel. And I think this will cause some buzz. She said, I lost my virginity in a rape. I was part of that 
Disney crowd that publicly said we were waiting until marriage. I didn't have the romantic first time. Then I had to see this person all the time. So I stopped eating and coped in other ways. Fuck it, I'm going to say it. She went on to say that her attacker never got in trouble for what he did. In fact, they never got taken out of the movie they were in. I always kept it quiet because I've always had something to say. I don't know. I'm tired of opening my mouth. Here's the tea. Naturally, people are going to go back through the starring cast of Camp Rock and figure out who this could potentially be who raped her. Yeah, and we don't know if it was someone that starred next to her, if it was someone in the background, if it was someone in the crew, but it's definitely a story that she wants to tell that it's like, yeah, fuck this. Like, this happened to me and I had to work with them the whole time and people knew and they didn't do anything about it. Mm. The other person that I really wanted to speak about, Mish, in this documentary was Scooter Braun. Yes. Because Scooter Braun is now Demi Lovato's manager and he had this, like, really starring role in the documentary. He got a wonderful edit. He seemed like the world's nicest guy and it left me with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Well, confession before you explain, I left and because I hadn't dived into this, I hadn't looked any deeper, I turned to you and I went, I loved seeing this side of Scooter Braun. Like, I really liked him. I've only heard the bad rhetoric about him with Taylor Swift and kind of how he's been cast in a bad light. And on face value, I was like, wow, what a multifaceted human Scrooge Braun is and what a great person he seems to be for Demi Lovato. Yeah, which still may be the case. I think it's just important to note that Scooter Braun did executive produce this documentary <laughs> alongside Ratner and Lovato. So that is something that is very convenient timing for Scooter Braun, that mm. the documentary is occurring, that one of his talent is in it and he decides to EP it alongside it maybe as a bit of sort of reputation rehab for himself. Yeah. And again, you just said it then, this could all be accurate. It could all be true that in fact, he was shitty to Taylor Swift or has issues with Taylor Swift. We all have issues with someone in our lifetime, but is great to other people. That is completely fair enough. And that could be the case. It is a bit sus though, that he got such a glowing representation of himself when he was in fact the man (laughs) behind that representation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the one big takeaway from this documentary is first and foremost, I did feel a bit like I was being force fed a message that they wanted. Like Mm. there was a few, it felt like producers were sitting around a table being like, these are the three or four key things that we want people to take away and we're going to force feed it. But I just think more than anything, the world is very lucky to have a celebrity like Demi Lovato who's happy to lay everything bare and say, I will put myself on the line and tell you everything that's happened to me because I think it might be helpful. Even though I think she might've been let down by the producers or how it was all kind of put together and edited. I do think the story itself is so powerful that no one's ever going to forget it. I agree with that. I also think if you are someone Someone who in the past has struggled to feel compassion for those who battle drug addiction or who are coping with trauma in ways that you might not understand. I think this is a pretty compassionate view of someone who is struggling. And I think although you might not always understand, watching things like this might give you greater insight into the minds of people who have been through some really tough shit and are doing their best and trying and might not always succeed and might make failures along the way. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening as always. If you want to support the show, we are on all the apps, but if you're listening on Spotify... All the apps. I think we are. We're on Spotify if you want to hit follow. We're also on Apple Podcasts if you want to hit that purple subscribe button. That is exactly what helps us out. If you're on Apple Podcasts, chuck us a five-star review. If you like the show, Annabelle Lee, we have book club this Saturday. (gasps) We're all going to sit down together. If you are interested in book club stuff with Shameless, we also have a book club Instagram now. It is called 
I think the Shameless Book Club because someone had already took the handle for Shameless Book yes. Club, which is fine. That's fine. No, it's well, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's Shameless Book Club. So if you want to find us on there, we are there. <laughs> we are there. Give us a follow and listen out or look out or hear out. I don't know for Saturday when our book club episode drops. See ya. Bye. See you then. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.